This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! It's Rog, the Jerry Krauser podcasting. It's Monday. You know, I'm just going to lay it all out on top. God, I miss live sports. I do. I do. It's six weeks without the Premier League. First weekend without NWSL. And I'm finding it hard. I am. Probably like the rest of you. Last night, I watched the Michael Jordan documentary. The Last Dance. Last Dance in American. And God, I was overwhelmed by how searingly... It reminded me of two things. First, God, the time I moved to Chicago. Yes, back in October 1993, I pulled in to Hyde Park, Chicago, Southside. So much I was exhilarated about as I tried to find a parking space. Had three life goals. Number one, to live like Ferris Bueller. Check. Pretty well did. In my own little way. Number two. To meet Studs Terkel, the iconic broadcaster, the legend, my hero. Google him if you don't know who he is, which I did. I was able to work with him on a project before he passed, and I'm all the better for him. And then the third, perhaps the biggest goal of all, was to watch the Michael Jordan Bulls. I mean, I had slept for years in Liverpool under a poster, a rookie poster, of Michael Jordan dunking, tongue out. So when I come to Chicago, that is all I want to do. And I genuinely turned on the TV pretty much for the first time ever in Chicago. That's all it took. And a newsreader interrupted ongoing programming to announce, to my horror, Michael Jordan is retiring from the NBA. Yep. First time. Wanted to pursue his dream of becoming a pro baseball player. His dream, not mine. Selfish MJ. Talk about the curse of Rog. I was stuck, marooned. Luke Longley became my ride or die. Slight segue. Yes, it was one of the joys of last year. Bonafide. We should re-release this podcast to get Steve Kerr on Men in Blazers. What a human being. But I'm going to be honest with you. Trekking down Luke Longley in 2015 and having that mighty man pod with me. It's one of the bona fide joys of my lifetime. Back to the last dance. Watching that had geography. My dominant emotion was, oh, how much I miss the one true goat, Jordan. Yep. Hendo. Of course. Oh, Jordan Henderson. That symbol of just how much I miss football. A missing which lies inside of me like an enormous empty chasm of unfulfillment set of muscles I can't access, I can't stimulate. I know they're condemned to atrophy with a low-grade moaning I cannot silence. So what's the next best thing to watching football? It's talking about football, which is what this pod is all about. WGFOP, the bald, you call in your biggest questions about football and life, and they'll get tiny, tiny answers from me. It's like a bald, even darker version of the streets. Call us now, 646-450-9472. 646-450-9472. We got Ron Harper answering the phone lines this week. 
Producer Jonah, I need a sting of stings. Well, howdy, y'all. You're listening to WGFOP. Can I just say, that truly is a Stingo Stings, and it comes from Judd Johnson, Double J, a Tottenham fan from Houston, Texas. All hail Judd, who writes, Your pods have really lifted my spirits. I'm currently heading into work to stock shelves at a grocery store after losing my other jobs as a music teacher and touring drummer. Oh, can I just say, Judd Johnson, Double J, thank you for your creativity, thank you for your joy, thank you for your service. You are... You're a spectacular talent. You sound like a spectacular human being. Everyone in the Houston region, hire Judd Johnson now. Let's question it up, like the Riddler. Hey, Rod, this is Dan from Detroit, Michigan. I'm a Liverpool supporter, and in honor of his birthday, I have a Divock Origi question. You said that he's a crap footballer. He's just really good at inflicting pain. So who is the American athlete that has a similar niche skill set? Courage. Oh, Dan from Detroit, why you gotta do me like that? I mean, trying to be a bigger man than I normally am in this time of darkness, so I'll say hats off to Divock, great tribute to him, that I still have recurring nightmares about shoulder goals on a regular basis, even in this COVID era. Yep, my top three fear is Origi. Oh, he's still front of mind for me. He really is a wound that will never heal. Jordan Pickford, what were you thinking? That Everton double doink goal was a guilty pleasure comedy hit for you Reds fans. But the Divock Barcelona winner proved he can do more than just cause pain in surreal fashion. Time to put respect on his name. Who's the big div in America? Who has hurt opponents in memorable ways that may never heal? Historically, got to be big shot Bob. Robert Horry. Oh, how I love those Houston Rockets teams. Then mine goes to baseball and Aaron effing Boone. Yeah, I know football-wise, who's the American Divock? Probably Giossi, but what's he really hurt? I guess he's hurt his face many times. Brad Guzan, my hero, who's hurt his own team on countless occasions. Those are the options at the front of mind. It's question two time. Raj, this is Jeff Nichols in Utah. I don't have a Premier League team. I've never seen a Premier League game, but I'm really a Men and Blazers fan. started listening to you during the World Cup. Uh, at a friend's suggestion, and that's how I follow the Premier League. So my question is, am I going to ruin my love of the game that I hear mediated by you and Davo if I actually see a game? Thanks so much for what you do. Courage. Jeff, this voicemail was, well, it was astounding because you are living in such an amazing state of being, not watching football, but being a Men in Blazers fan. And following football just to our words and suboptimal musings. I am genuinely moved by that concept. You're a sick mind, bro. Here's the news for you, though, and your quandary. Oh, you're not going to have to answer it anytime soon. Because I don't think there's going to be any football for the foreseeable. I just don't see Premier League football returning until June at the earliest. And that is the deeply optimistic scenario. I'm actually starting to believe 
the you know football authorities vacillating and ricocheting their fraught decision making their indecision about what to do and when to do it or what to do and when not to do it I starting to think it's actually all part of a conscious plan a genius an evil genius that's going to keep us hooked in the absence of football just drip out non-news on a regular basis and we'll just trot along like little dogs who think they're going to get treats the latest non-news Premier League teams are floating the idea of a, quote, 40-day end to the season. They're going to crush all those games into a 40-day spell, somehow still debating the fantasy of being done by June the 30th. Yes, that date that we now know is contract Armageddon, by which player contracts and sponsorship deals all are up. I truly believe they're going to keep debating June the 30th, finishing the season by then, all the way up till June the 29th, probably around midnight. Oh, the other news, the size of the pay cuts each team are forcing their players to take in the absence of an overall blanket decision. You know, the kind of decision that would be sensible business. Instead, Premier League clubs and the players union, why wouldn't they remain locked in a Cold War? Why not? Why not have a Cold War? Chelsea, rumoured to be taking a 10% cut. Arsenal, with their bloated wage bill and lack of Champions League revenue, they've got a liquidity challenge. Number one in the league table of liquidity challenge, Arsenal fans just forced Mikel Arteta to step in and help players understand why a 12.5% pay cut makes rational sense. I believe also Gunasaurus behind the scenes was deeply, deeply influential in brokering peace in that deal. Manchester United, though, thought to be cash rich. They see this crisis as a time of opportunity, use that financial muscle that they built up. They just have a machine, almost an ATM. Branding-wise, with their global tractor partners, their global potato snacks, all that kind of stuff. They're going to buy at the dip. Jaden Sancho Energy! Oh, and United players are not expecting to have to defer any wages at all, a.k.a. pay the Fred. As to the heart of your question, Jeff, my lord, will watching football ruin listening to us talk about football? All I'll say is, Jeff, you beautiful man, here's the great news. You're in for a treat when football does come back because, you know, just listening to us talk about football when there's, you know, actual football to be watched. It's like going to a Waffle House and just ordering hash browns when they're scattered and smothered, covered and chunked available on the menu. Live life in three dimensions, my friend. Let's all commit to that. There's nothing to fear. Oh, next question, doctor. My name is Patricia Zengerly. I live in McLean, Virginia, and I'm a Liverpool supporter. I recently learned that Trent Alexander-Arnold's mother is American, which means he could have played for the U.S. men's national team. Who else is out there who might have could have been on the team to take us to World Cup glory? Thanks. Patricia Z, long-time GFOP. Oh, it is a joy to hear your question. That is essentially the WGFOP equivalent of the Julian Green Memorial Cup. By the way, Julian, good Julian, currently toiling in the German second division for a team called Grundverfurth. I think that's a person, but apparently it's a team. Come on, you clover leaves. Oh, he's still our future. He is still our future. Jürgen Klinsmann was not wrong. Good Julian! I mean, this list is well known. Who could play for the US but didn't? The ones that got away. It's a sad list, Patricia. Starting with the name, I'm sure, on everyone's lips. Giuseppe Rossi, that New Jersey boy who became a Manchester United and Italy starler. And it's hard to believe, if you did not see him, just how lethal this all-American 
Italian-American, though, boy was as a finisher. I mean, he was fantastic until injuries really did him in. Nevin Subotic, the Serbian who came of age in Salt Lake, the Argentinian Funes Mori brothers who mastered the game in the Dallas Academy. You know, I remember being at a US game in Sarajevo and broadcasting on-the-pitch interviews post-game. I was terrible at it, absolutely terrible at it. Back to ESPN, doing them live. Did Tim Howard, who was hilarious. He had a, I had a pair of shoes on that he also owned and he just wanted to talk about them. He was magic. Michael Bradley, oh, very, very intense, even though it was a friendly. Jekko wanted to do an interview, wanted to talk to the American audience and he finished off and he goes, you should speak to this guy. Points to a midfielder walking off, a man called Vidada Bizovic. What a player, what a midfielder at Stuttgart at the time. Um, But he strolled over to me and just grabbed the microphone and gave shout outs in a American accent, which is more American than mine could ever be. I mean, he just wanted a shout out to all the guys in St. Louis where he'd come through in that incredible footballing hotbed, learnt the game. What a man. And I just like, as he walked off, I was like, why are you playing there? Why did we not bring you through? Why did we not create those opportunities that Bosnia did. Oh, but you look at the Mexican national team and starlets like Jonathan Gonzalez and Efrain Alvarez, and you could have a team of American eligible players who possibly are even better prospects than our own boys. But, but, and one big but in this fantasy make believe world, I've got to tell you, if we can have all of them, Jamaica, they'd have Raz, they'd have Kyle Walker and his sex parties. They'd have Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and his dance moves. They'd have Mikel Antonio. And most terrifyingly of all, yes, Jamaica could feel Troy Deeney. Can you imagine? CONCACAF fat Drake. All of those could have played for Jamaica. And if we could have all the ones that I named, they could have them. And they would have killed us. Sting it up, mummy! One eight seven seven Fast Cars for Kids B-A-L-D, Fast Cars for Kids. One eight seven seven Fast Cars for Kids. W-G-F-O-P, the ball. Now that is a sting to make your bits tingle. David Stewart of Seattle, Emerald City. Damn, that is just almost so good, that sting, that I want to be buried to it. Almost, almost. It's a mashup of two of the saddest pieces of music ever composed 1877 cars for kids ofs and tracy chapman fast car oh david writes i'm both deeply thrilled and deeply sorry to have created this thing for wgfop the bald surely born out of one and a half months of quarantine here in seattle come on you rain oh david courage next question hey roger this is tim in pittsburgh pennsylvania uh west ham supporter Yesterday was the 40th anniversary of Iron Maiden's debut album, and their bass player and founding member, Steve Harris, at, uh, when he was 18, had to make the decision to go play for his boyhood club, West Ham, or continue with Iron Maiden, a band he felt had a lot of potential. Do you know of any other players that had similar, successful, crazy, or interesting second acts in a non-football career? Thanks for all the great content. Go Hammers. Hail, Tim. Oh, and hello, all Yinzers. I love your city built on grit, 
passion and sausage. Oh, and I love your question because it taps into football as a choice, a passion, a love affair played by men and women who had other options and could have chosen them easily, but played because they love the game, the life. Even as many kind of did career crap on the side. My favourite was obviously Albert Camus, the writer of Wonder, who was also, first and foremost, a terrific goalkeeper by all accounts. Could have gone pro in Algeria until tuberculosis ended his career and was once rumoured to have said, and I love to believe this is true, I wrote about this in the introduction of Encyclopedia Blazitanica, Camus is rumoured to have said, everything I know most surely about morality and the duty of man. I owe to football. Oh, words to live by. Genuinely, that's how I see football. But another magical character who I find absolutely inspirational, and there's a great biography of this man that's worth reading if you're bored. Hero of mine as a kid, the Brazilian defender, a legend with crazy revolutionary politics. Yes, Socrates, a man who took the field with a thick beard, luscious locks, and an impeccable taste in headbands. He appeared at times to have been transported straight from Woodstock onto the football field, six foot three, smoked two packs of cigarettes a day, drank a fair amount. But he was a doctor, a practicing doctor, who said there were times when I was up 24 hours straight studying and working in the hospital, then I'd go and play a game for Botafogo without practicing with the club all week. He was a giant of a human being. God, his spirit, his spirit of medical, oh, just wonder we need now and we have now. We actually had a Zoom call with emergency workers on Friday that I'm still absolutely blown away by. Another gentleman who falls into this category, the mighty Shaka Hislop. Got a degree in mechanical engineering from Howard University, and they actually interned for NASA while he was in college. Great preparation for handling the next-level high-concept ideas of Mr. Craig Burley. Didier Drogba almost became an accountant. He was rebuffed by PSG, signed for Le Mans, because he wanted to study accountancy at the city's university. I love that little-known fact about Double D. Loads more. Flamini of Arsenal. He only went and became a billionaire biotech investor. Daniel Agger of Liverpool. Easy, seamless segue into becoming a tattoo artist. Surprise, surprise there. Jesse Lingard. He's a social media influencer with a side hustle as a professional footballer. Paul Pogba, soul cycle instructor, side hustle director of brands and social media at Manchester United. But my favourite comes from the 1980s. That hard-hitting Nottingham Forest defender Stuart Pearce, well-known as Psycho, terrifying man, who was actually a trained electrician. And even while he became professional at Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest, there was so little money in football back then, and his future felt so precarious that he actually advertised his services as an electrician in Forest Match Day programme, in games that he was actually playing in. Who, By the way, if you actually watched... Stuart Pearce play football, you probably would not then go and phone him up and ask him to come and check your plugs. He was not that kind of guy. He was bloody proper terrifying. All of this, though, raises a bigger question, which is this. What brings you passion in your life? I'm sure that it's one that many of you listeners have mused over in this enforced time, in home, away from the workplace. Do I like what I do? Why do I do it? What does excite me? What am I good at? What am I passionate about? These are these are critical questions, critical ones, especially when you figure how much of the massive chunk of our lives 
so many of us spend trapped in cubicles. Do we like it there? I mean, I asked this in the wake of releasing an interview on Men in Blazers on Ice with the Tampa Bay Lightning coach John Cooper, a man, remarkable man, never played pro hockey, barely played college hockey, was a public defender in Michigan. Listen to this, until the age of 32. That's what he did. He was a lawyer. He said, not the greatest lawyer in the world. And he started coaching high school. High school hockey. It was a lark. A lark that when he thought about it, after a while, he was like, this is when I feel alive. And with his family, he decided, I'm going to have a midlife career change. I'm going to leap into the unknown. I'm going to approach that grind, that pyramid of minor league hockey. And he did. He he ground his way through it, just through the back roads of America, all the way, all the way to the Stanley Cup final. And I, I found his story inspirational. I watch it regularly because it's about what do I love? What am I passionate about? Those are the questions it forces you to confront. And I'd encourage you to watch the full film. It's up on our channels. It's on the NHL social channels. Look at John Cooper. Take stock and listen to his words of wisdom. I guess you too could end up playing for Manchester United. One last question, producer Jonah. Please. Dear men and blazers, we are the Gilbert family. My family has a question which we feel is well suited to each of your backgrounds and talents. We live in Oak Park, Illinois, just outside Chicago. We're Liverpool fans and had planned to go to England for spring break. For obvious reasons, we didn't get a chance to go. We had also planned to adopt a dog upon returning and just two days ago adopted a beautiful one-year-old Border Collie Australian Shepherd mix. Since we had planned to go to England, and since we are Liverpool fans, we have decided to name her Mersey for the river in Liverpool. However, since we never made our trip to Liverpool, we don't know much about the river other than what you find Googling around. Roger, as a born Liverpoolian and experienced Chicagoan, is the river Mersey viewed with the same endearment, appreciation, and pride as Lake Michigan is to Chicagoans? Is it appreciated for its historic value? Or have we just done the equivalent of naming our dog after the Chicago River, which, though cleaned up now, was once basically a flowing Superfund site? Davo, as a naturalist, is it possible to wax poetic about the River Mersey? Are there any unique species residing there or cherished vistas? Thanks for helping us to get interested in soccer and helping us to understand the sport. Thanks and courage, the Gilbert family. Hello, Oak Park. You Frank Lloyd Wright inflected town of beauty. Oh, so many dogs have been adopted. So many new owners. So many happy, happy, oh, gorgeous doggies in the past six weeks. No one wants a dog more than me. But for the time being, I'm going to have to live through you, Gilbert family. I really want a Bernese mountain dog. I read in a book once that they're never happier than when pulling a small cheese cart to market. And I just love that phrase. It's a great way to approach life. By the way, if any of you have named your dogs Nigel, please be in touch. I would love, love, love to see a photograph and I will send you a patch if a dog or a cat has been named Nigel in the past couple of weeks. Mersey, though. What a gorgeous name for a pet. That's the good news, Gilbert family. I'd say this, that when I grew up, Liverpool was a city in extreme decline. It was. Economically. Politically, culturally, it was bereft. I mean, the book I'm writing right now about growing up in Liverpool in the 1980s has made me relive those memories, revel in those memories, really, in the kind of post-Empire days, the the post-industrial days. You know, Britain had high-rolling days. 
910s, 920s. You know, Liverpool was then one of the world's great port cities. All the cotton, wool, coal, steel once produced across the north of England were launched into the Atlantic via Liverpool's docks. It was an incredible muscle. The banks of the River Mersey were weighed down by warehouses, commercial power, mercantile wealth. Oh, but the Second World War just laid waste to Britain's industrial might. And then Europe became our prime trading partner, as opposed to the United States. And Liverpool geographically lost its raison d'etre almost overnight. And the city spiralled into decline, beset by the degrading forces of unemployment, poverty, petty crime. A bit like a British Baltimore without the steam crabs upside. So the Mersey I grew up with, it's a bit like the city itself back then. It was a wasteland, heavily polluted. You'd often go to the seashore to see dead sheep just bobbing up and down with the tide. But that's changed. You didn't know where I was going with this, did you? Poor Mersey the dog. It's a great name, trust me, because the city has been reborn. Just made a film with J-Dubs and Visit Britain about the Mersey. And specifically, the Anthony Gormley sculptures in Crosby. There's a hundred iron men that a sculptor has crafted and placed on a couple of miles across the beach. It's magnificent. It's actually one of my favourite places in the city. These iron men who march into the Mersey, have the tide wash over them and then wash out again. And it was a marvel to stand there and witness them. And I wrote this after leaving there. I'm going to leave it with you, Mersey the dog. The Gormley sculptures, to me, are a symbol of the tenacity and big dreaming nature that drives the people of Liverpool. It's always driven them. It's always propelled them to think big, to make those ideas come real. And now the Mersey's an enchanted place. It's calming. It's profound. And I felt that when standing amidst these silent sentinels, looking out onto the River Mersey, it was then that I realised they're standing guard, just trying to survive the grind of life. Boldly, never moving, courageous, always here, looking out to the horizon, always dreaming, like the city of Liverpool itself. And it's that that you've named your dog after. In short, the exact kind of spirit of tenacity the world needs right now, I can think a few finer names for the Gilbert family dog. That's it. Tomorrow, I'll be back with Davo. Oh, a good pod. And then Brandon McCarthy will join me Wednesday. And Wednesday night at 5pm Eastern time, the great Jessica McDonald joins me. Oh, I've wanted to speak to her for so long. 5 p.m. Eastern time on Instagram Live for a bud and a happy hour drink. I can't wait. Until then, call in your questions now. Come on, just do it. 646-450-9472. 646-450-9472. Call him. Ron Harper. He's answering your phones. Big love. I'm encouraging. <laughs>